to our series in Exodus. Um, So we're in Exodus chapter 3 now, verse 1, and we'll go through chapter 4, verse 18. Uh, This is the famous story of Moses in the burning bush. This is where Moses receives his own call to ministry, his call to go back to Egypt and to redeem a people from slavery. And so that's what we will be looking at this morning. Because it is a, a long passage and because it's such a, a great story in itself, I didn't just want to read a small portion of it. So we're going to read the whole stretch. Uh, but I have asked three people to read. So Pat will come and read the first section. Melissa will come and read the second section. And then lastly, Lisa will come and read the final section for us. So Pat, as soon as you're ready, please begin our readings from God's Word. Exodus 3, 1 through 12. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro to the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send to you Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to the people, If I come to the people of Israel and 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 say to them, The Lord your father has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezites, the Hittites, the Hittites, and the Jesuits, the land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice, and they, you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has, sent, has met with us, and now please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. 
but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sights of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, Yahweh did not appear to you. Yahweh said to him, What is it? What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But Yahweh said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, Yahweh said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to Yahweh, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then Yahweh said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him, and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs." Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Well, as we have started the book of Exodus, we have been introduced to all the main characters by this point. So we have been introduced first to the people of Israel who groaned under their slavery They were a people who had been chosen by God, and yet it seems that as they had gone down into Egypt, they had since forgotten God, and at the point where this happens and Moses goes out into the wilderness, they had been slaves in Egypt for almost 400 years. 
We have been introduced to the enslaving Pharaoh. We have seen that Pharaoh was a type of that serpent from the garden, a type of Satan who oppresses God's people and stands against God. We saw how Pharaoh was paranoid and was worried about what the people of Israel might do. And so he dealt craftily with them and he caused them to be slaves and how he was even murderous and wanted to kill all the male infants of the people of Israel. And Moses was delivered from this great genocide against the Hebrew people. We were then introduced to Moses, who was delivered from this murder of the innocent babies, and how he was delivered from this in a miraculous kind of way, how his mother's wisdom caused him to be put into an ark, put into a basket, and floated down the river. And Pharaoh's daughter found him and brought him into Pharaoh's household, and yet he was still able to be raised by his own mother because she was there to nurse him. And his own mother actually got paid to take care of him because she was there. And so in this way, Moses was able to be raised in the midst of his own Hebrew people, even though he was in Pharaoh's house. And we also saw how Moses, when he got older, actually thought that he would deliver the people of Israel. And so he went out one day and when he saw a Hebrew person who was being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster, he killed that Egyptian taskmaster and thought that all of his fellow brother and sister Hebrew people would be very pleased by this. And yet we saw that they were not pleased at all. They said, who made you Lord and master over us? And so with this, Moses became very discouraged. He also became afraid because he knew that the Egyptian authorities would be seeking to put him to death for killing an Egyptian. And so what does he do? He flees. He goes out to the land of Midian. He goes out east of Egypt and he lives in the wilderness. And there, when he is in Midian, he meets a wife. He has a son, names him Gershon, which means sojourner. And so that is where we find Moses at the beginning of this story. Lastly, we have been introduced, but only in kind of a generic way, to the primary character of the book of Exodus, and that is the character of God himself. Up to this point in the narrative, God has not been referred to by his name. He hasn't been referred to by his name Yahweh. That's what we learn in our passage this morning. And what we are told about The God of this book, we are told mainly in chapter 2, verse 24. So after we've already learned everything about Israel and Pharaoh and Moses, in 2, verse 24, it says, God heard their groaning. So God heard the groaning of the people of Israel. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And so this is our momentous introduction to the character of God in the book of Exodus. He is the God who is in covenant with the people who are in bondage. That's what it says, in covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And he is also a God who sees, and he is a God who hears, and he is a God who knows. Again, in that verse 24 and 25, God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. God saw the people, and God knew And so at that moment, we're kind of woken up to the possibility of what may happen. You know, we know that with the characters as they stand right now, with the Hebrew people under slavery, 
with the power of the Egyptian state and with this man Moses out in exile, it doesn't seem like there's much hope for a huge change, right? I mean, what can the Hebrew people do? What can Moses, this man in exile, do? And yet again, when we come to verse 24 and we see that God heard the groaning of the Hebrew people, now we think, oh, something could really happen. And so what is it that's going to happen? Well, that's what we discover in our passage this morning. Moses becomes a shepherd, and being a shepherd in that land of Midian that he was in was a very difficult task, right? There wasn't much grass around for the sheep, and so in large part, the work of a shepherd was to keep the sheep moving to new places where there might be vegetation. And in 3 verse 1, we learn that Moses comes to this place called Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Later on in the book of Exodus, this Mount Horeb would be named Mount Sinai. And so here comes Moses to Mount Horeb with his sheep, looking for some grass for them. And what happens? But Moses sees a bush that is aflame, and yet the bush does not burn up. Now again, this was a very dry region, and Moses, being a shepherd, no doubt knew how much fuel he needed for a fire to keep warm for a night, and so he would have expected this little bush, this shrub on the ground, to burn up very quickly, right? It's not like a huge log that can burn for a long time. And yet, this little shrub, this little bush is burning, and it does not burn up. And so Moses It's very curious. Verse 3, he says, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And of course, this is what Yahweh planned to happen. And so in verse 4, when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, repeating his name two times, this kind of endearing way of calling Moses to himself. And Moses responds, here I am. You know, what do you need? He hears his name being called out of, out of this bush. And then the first thing that God says to him, verse 5, God says, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. This is the first hint we see that Moses was not really familiar with this God. Moses was not familiar with the God of the burning bush. In his own impulse, he would not have taken off his shoes. He would have seen this curious sight. Of course, Moses knew the God of the Egyptians. He knew the gods of the Midianites. His own father-in-law, Jethro, was a priest of the Midianites. So he no doubt thought that this was just one of the other gods that he had become familiar with over the ages. And yet God tells him, do not come near Take your sandals off your feet. You're standing on holy ground. And then God introduces himself to Moses. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses, when he realizes this, when he realizes the God that he is now encountering, it says that he hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. You see, in that moment, as soon as Moses realized that the God that he was encountering was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he realized that he was not to look upon that God. He was not to step with his sandals upon the same ground that this God was occupying. 
And so Moses has this encounter with God. Now we should realize before we move forward and see Moses' interaction with God that this is actually the second exodus of the book of Exodus. This is the second exodus that Moses himself has already experienced. The very first exodus that Moses experienced was that one where Pharaoh was killing all the male infants, and yet God rescued him from that, took him out from death, and placed him in the palace of Pharaoh, the king. That was the first rescue, the first exodus that God had accomplished for Moses. And now Moses is in the midst of his second exodus. He's at the pinnacle of the second exodus. He killed the Egyptian And then God brought him out of Egypt. And where did God bring him out of Egypt to? He brought him out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. Brought him out of Egypt to Mount Sinai to encounter the living God in a flaming bush. And in this way, God is foreshadowing. Moses, as he writes the book of Exodus, is foreshadowing the greater Exodus that is to come, right? Because all the Hebrew people are still enslaved in Egypt. And when they come out of Egypt, where will they go? They will also go to Mount Sinai, where Moses is right now. And they will also encounter God on Mount Sinai in a flame of fire, in the same way that Moses is encountering God in a flame of fire. In other words, the journey that God has taken Moses on is the same journey that God will call Moses to take the people of Israel on. Now, this is important for us to recognize, as we'll see a little bit later. So God has taken Moses on this exodus, taken Moses out of Egypt, taken him to Mount Sinai to encounter the living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now it's at this point where God gives his charge to Moses. We see God state his intention to rescue his people from slavery. And then in verse 10 is where God tells Moses his part in this. God says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So this is what God wanted Moses to do. You go to Pharaoh And you bring my people out of slavery. You bring them out of Egypt. Now, we can understand that Moses' response to this call would have some trepidation, right? Like, I don't think it would have been normal if God gave him this call and Moses were to say, oh, that's all you want? No problem, God. I'll be back next week or something like that, right? Like, Moses couldn't have said that. Moses had to have realized that when God gave him this call, this call was much too big for him. This call was something that he could not accomplish in his own power. But of course, Moses also didn't have the mindset, didn't have the concept to think, well, if I can't do this in my own power, then how can I possibly do this, right? He didn't know any other way. He thought, if I can't do it in my own power, well, then that means I can't do it. And so Moses begins to offer some excuses to God. In 3.11, the very next verse, we see Moses' first excuse to God. It says, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So that's his first question. It's just kind of this blanket statement, right? Who am I? I'm not the person to do this. I'm not some big, mighty person. At this point, Moses is 80 years old, 
He's been a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years. <laughs> he thinks of himself now as a shepherd. He thinks of himself now as a Midianite, no doubt. And he thinks, God, why do you want me, this wilderness shepherd, to go and deliver the people of Israel? So he says, who am I? The second excuse he gives, although he doesn't exactly frame it as an excuse, is in verse 13. His basic statement is, God, I don't even know your name. You know, how am I supposed to go and rescue this people if I don't know your name? It says, then Moses said to God, if if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses is saying, How am I supposed to go and represent you? How am I supposed to go and do your work when I don't even know your name? And all of us can sympathize with his objection, right? I mean, if you met some person on the side of the road who had some big task for you, you wouldn't just say, well, okay, I'll go do that for you. No, you'd say, well, can I at least know your name, right? Can I know who's asking me to go and to do this thing? And so that's the second objection that Moses has. I don't know your name. How could I go? The third objection that Moses has comes to us in chapter 4, verse 1. He basically says, well, they won't believe me. So 4, verse 1, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, Yahweh did not appear to you. Now, this is quite a bold objection for Moses to make, considering just back in verse 18 of chapter 3, this is what God said. It says, and they will listen to your voice. <laughs> and yet Moses comes right back to God and says, but they won't listen to my voice. So Moses here is kind of grasping at straws, trying to think of reasons why he can't do what God told him to do. They won't listen to my voice, even though God had told him they will listen to your voice. We see a fourth objection that Moses has in verse 10 of chapter 4. He says, I am not eloquent. Moses said to Yahweh, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Literally, it's, I am not a man of words. So Moses is afraid that he won't be able to speak the way he needs to speak in order to talk to Pharaoh, in order to talk to the Hebrew people to lead them out of slavery. Now, after God answers all these objections, and we'll look at God's responses in just a moment, but after God answers all the objections, Moses gives his final excuse, his final kind of way to get out of it in verse 13 of chapter 4. It says, But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> right? So Moses has tried all that he can. He's right, like, who am I to go? I can't do this. I don't know your name. Um, They're not going to believe me. I can't speak very well. You know, all of these things. And God has answered everything. And so in his last, last ditch effort, Moses responds with, Lord, please send someone else, right? Just not me. Like, I can't think of any more excuses, but I don't want to do this thing right now. And yet God as we will see, even has a response to that. And so what are God's responses to Moses' objections? Now, before we look at God's responses to Moses' objections, I just want you to put yourself in the shoes of Moses for just a moment. I mean, I think we can all understand Moses' situation to some degree, can we not? 
I mean, God has called all of us to many things, right? If you're familiar with this Bible, if you're familiar with the words of the New Testament, then you know that God has many instructions for us, and many of his instructions are very difficult, are they not? I mean, just read the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of Matthew, and you will find a lifestyle that you are called to that seems overwhelming, that seems far more difficult than anything that you could possibly do in your own strength. I mean, even things like if somebody slaps you on one cheek, then turn to them the other. I mean, how hard is that to do? Or things like if your eye causes you to sin, then gouge it out. I mean, these are high commands that God has given to us. And again, that's just the Sermon on the Mount. There are many ways that God has called us to things that are hard for us to do. And even aside from the commandments of God, many of you probably have had situations in your life where you feel like God has personally called you to do something that you probably felt like you couldn't do. Maybe it was to move to a place where you didn't feel like you could move or to take a job that maybe you didn't feel like you were ready for, to give some amount of money that you didn't think you were ready to give. God has called each of us to hard and difficult things. And all of us, our human response, when we encounter those commandments of God or when we encounter that call of God, our response is to say, but God, you know, have you considered that I have this problem or this problem or I'm not able to do this or that or, you know, I'm just not sure you're talking to the right person here. And that is the response of our flesh to the commands of God that we feel like we can't perform, to the guidance that God gives us that we feel like we just really aren't up to. And so in that sense, I think that the responses that God gives to Moses in the midst of all these objections can be helpful responses to us as well as we consider our own excuses for failing to follow God. And so for Moses, as he gives his first excuse and says, who am I? To be sent, God gives what really is his most potent and all-encompassing response. Look at 3 verse 12. God said, but I will be with you. This is what God says, but I will be with you. You see, when Moses, when his first objection rears its ugly head, who am I? to go and do this thing, God has a very simple and straightforward response to that objection. God says, I will be with you. And beloved, we even more so in this new covenant and how Christ has died for us, risen again from the risen again from the dead for us, and now we are adopted as children of God, we should know that God is with us. In whatever it is he calls us to, there is nothing too difficult that God can call us to. And not because we ourselves are somehow more competent or we ourselves are somehow great people, have great skills, but because God is with us. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is with us. And so that is the first thing that God says to Moses, I will be with you. And he also gives him a promise that God himself will accomplish what he calls Moses to. He says, this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God is saying, be assured that I am commanding you to do this 
But I am with you and you will see that you will come back to this very place because of my power. So God promises his presence and he promises him success in what he's called him to do. Now in the second response that Moses has, the second excuse he gives, but God, I don't know your name. God gives Moses a little more than he bargained for, I'm sure. Moses was probably, again, thinking of the God that he was speaking to was maybe somehow akin to the God of the Egyptians that he was familiar with or the God of the Midianites that he was familiar with. You know, the Egyptians had many gods. The Midianites had many gods. Each of those gods had names. Many of them were named after some type of created feature. So like the sun god, Ra. Ra was the word for sun. Ra was the name of the god, right? And so Moses is wondering, well, what's your name? How can I identify you? Moses is especially thinking, you know, of, of all these created things that I have. Which one do you identify with, God? And yet, God surprises him here. God, when he gives his name to Moses, he says that this is his name in verse 14. I am who I am. (laughs) I am who I am. In other words, God says to Moses, you will not identify me with any created thing. There is nothing that I have made, either supernatural or natural, that you can look at and you can say, I am the God of that thing, or I identify with that thing. No, I am the God of existence. I am the God of reality. I am the God who made all that exists. I am who I am. I am being itself. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, God in his kindness recognizes that this might be a little bit challenging for Moses to go and to say, I am has sent me to you, (laughs) right? It sounds like a little boastful maybe, or well, are you Moses, are you saying you yourself have, you know, sent yourself to us? Um, And so God changes the form of his name a little bit. In the Hebrew, I am is Echyeh, that's I am. And instead, God gives the form in verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Now again, in our English translations, it says the Lord, but in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Yahweh is he is, okay? So it moves from first person, I am, to third person, he is. So instead of calling God, I am, we We describe that name of God or we ascribe that name to God. And so we don't call God I am, we call him he is. And that's why we use the name Yahweh, especially in this book of Exodus. That's why we've been using the name Yahweh. Because when God gives his name Yahweh, when he says, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Notice what he says right after that. He says, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. In other words, God wants us to use his name. God wants us to remember him. God wants us to think of him in these terms as Yahweh, as the self-existent one, as the God of all creation. He is a distinct God among all the gods. He is not a God that is like any other God. 
He's not a God like anything else in creation. He is above all things. And that is why we call him Yahweh. And because he says that this is his name and this is how he wants to be remembered, therefore, in submission to God, we will use his name and we will call him Yahweh because this is the name that he has given. And that describes his greatness. Now with a third objection, Moses says, they won't believe me. To that, God responds with, Four, or sorry, three different miracles that he can do. God tells Moses that he can throw his staff on the ground, his shepherd's staff, and it will become a snake. God also tells Moses that he can put his hand in his coat and it will have leprosy on it and he can put it back in his coat and it will be cured. And then lastly, he says that Moses can take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the ground and it will turn to blood. Now, we don't have time right now to look at all three of these miracles, but again, in these miracles, God is giving Moses a way, a reason to go forward, and he's also establishing again that he is the Lord over all. He is the Lord over the snake, he is the Lord over disease, and he is the Lord over the Nile. And so he gives these signs to Moses so that Moses can prove that he really has spoken with Yahweh, with the great I Am. Moses' next excuse, again in 4.10, that he is not eloquent. God responds, who has made man's mouth? That's verse 4.11. Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Again, beloved, this can apply to so many of the objections that we ourselves have when we come to God. God, I can't do this because I'm not good at X, Y, or Z. Beloved, to all those commands, God can respond with, who has made you? Who makes a person good at anything? Who makes a person bad at anything? It is me, the Lord. And therefore, when the Lord tells us to do something, we can have confidence that he is able to equip us for that work. And then lastly, when Moses says, please just send someone else, God responds in 4 verse 14, Now, isn't there your brother Aaron who is coming to meet you? And so we see from this that God has already appointed someone to come and to meet Moses in the wilderness. And he grants Aaron to Moses the way that God grants a prophet to himself. He says, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and he will teach you what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. So in this relationship between Moses and Aaron, we have maybe the clearest picture of the relationship between God and a prophet, right? Moses speaks to Aaron, it seems, and then Aaron speaks for him. Moses speaks the words of Moses in the same way that a prophet is supposed to speak the words of God. And so God gives Aaron to Moses, again, in order to take away any kind of excuse that Moses may have and in order to send him forward. Now notice also through this whole process that God relates to Moses in a very kind and generous way, does he not? I mean, God is, I am. God is the God overall. He would have had every right When Moses says, well, I have this excuse, I have this excuse, 
God would have had every right to just say, well, too bad. I told you to do it. End of story. Right? But that's not what God does. God interacts with Moses. He graciously speaks with Moses and helps Moses along the way. And so it's not wrong for us, beloved, when we do have some type of objection, when we're worried that maybe we can't do what God wants us to do, to go to God with those concerns and to say, God, I'm not sure I can do it for this reason or that reason. God is kind to you and he will reassure you, especially through his word. Go to his word, know his promises, know what God has done in the past. And as you read about who God is, as you read about his kindness, He will disclose himself to you and he will reassure your heart that you indeed are able to keep the commandments of God. So in this way, Moses' conversation with God is just a picture of honest prayer, how we are to speak with God and how God so kindly responds to us. I mean, just think, if Moses had not offered these objections to God, we would not have any of this material that we now have. We wouldn't know the the revelation of the name of God that God gives here. We wouldn't have this disclosure of God as the one who makes man deaf or blind or seeing or mute. We wouldn't have these miracles that God let Moses do. And so in this way, we see that through this honest interaction with God, God is kind to Moses and equips him with everything that he needs. Now again, we are in the same position as Moses in the sense that just as God is calling Moses to a task here, we are called to task by God. But what's remarkable to me is how similar the task that Moses was called to, how similar that is to the task that we ourselves are called to. Moses was sent to rescue a people from slavery after he himself had been rescued from Egypt and brought to this mountain. And we see the same pattern all over the New Testament, beloved, that we ourselves who have been rescued, who have been rescued from death, who have been called out of darkness and into light, are now called to go and to rescue others. This call is given to us most clearly in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? This is a command given to all of us. In the same way that Moses said to God, I send you, Jesus says to us, go and make disciples of all nations. And even more remarkably, in the same way that the very first answer that God gives to Moses, to his objections, the very first answer he gives is, I will be with you. What is the promise that Jesus makes to us when he gives this great commission? He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so God has sent us to liberate captives, to bring people out of slavery in the same way that Moses has. But he hasn't just called us to do this just by his great authority and power. No, he calls us to do it because he himself has graciously brought us out. And so we see in 2 Corinthians 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. 
So you see how Moses being brought out of Egypt to Mount Sinai is called to go and get others, bring them out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. In the same way, we have received comfort. We are called to go back out to bring people into an encounter with the living God. The Bible says the same thing, 2 Corinthians 5. He has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Or maybe most powerfully in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. This is the same thing that Moses did, right? Moses didn't go and speak for Moses, saying, Moses says, let this people go. Moses went and spoke for God, saying, let my people go. And so when we go, we don't go for ourselves. It's not Robert Ivy asking people to be saved. No, God is making his appeal through us. That is why, as the verse says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this is what God has called us to, beloved, to call people out of darkness and into marvelous light. We ourselves have been brought out of darkness and into light. We have come out of the Mount Sinai of guilt and fear, and we've been brought to the Mount Zion of peace and joy and adoption. We ourselves have been brought to see God, right? 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. And beloved, all of our lives now are lived upon holy ground, even as Moses was upon holy ground. We have been bought with a price, and so we glorify God in our bodies, in all that we do. There is nothing we do that is outside of the presence and power of God. And so in all these ways, God has given us the same charge that he gave Moses. And yet again, as we ourselves see this charge, so often we shrink back from it, do we not? (laughs) Thinking, well, God, I'm not a person of words. I don't know how to speak to people. God, are you sure you have the right person to do this job? And so how will these excuses be overcome? Well, beloved, they will only be overcome when we ultimately can look to Christ and see how Christ is both himself, the perfect and the better Moses, and how Christ does promise then, as that perfect Moses, how he promises to be with us, to go with us, to give us gifts that we ourselves may accomplish his mission. Notice how in this passage we do see that Moses is a type of Christ. Moses is a shepherd and Jesus is called the great shepherd. Moses was given signs. Jesus was given many signs. In the Gospel of John, he was given seven signs. Moses was called to liberate a people. Jesus himself liberates a people. In Luke, he talks about how he came to provide liberty to the captives. And so Moses is a type of Christ. But at the same time, even though we see the similarity between them, notice how far Jesus exceeds Moses. Moses merely saw a burning bush, and Jesus himself was the light of the world. Moses had to remove the sandals from his feet, and yet Jesus was the Holy One himself. 
Moses had to ask for God's name, and yet Jesus is the very representation of God's name to us. Moses complains of an inability to speak, and Jesus himself is the very word of God. Jesus would eventually give his life for us when Moses was merely asked to perform signs and liberate a people. Moses would say, please send someone else. And yet Jesus would say, not my will, but your will be done. Moses, he was called to greatness as a liberator. Jesus, he was called to death and to ignominy, and only through that to greatness. Moses was called to bring about an earthly rescue, an earthly liberation. Jesus was called to bring about an eternal rescue. Moses needed a helper, needed Aaron to come alongside him. Jesus would be abandoned by all of his disciples, by anyone who ever knew him, and yet he would succeed in the call of redemption that God had laid upon him. And so in all these ways, Jesus knew all the challenges of Moses and even more. And Jesus succeeded in every place where Moses gave excuses and asked for help. And so, beloved, know first of all that Jesus did take your failures. He took your sins upon himself so that you don't need to feel guilt and shame for your failures anymore. He freed you from that. And so now instead of living in guilt and shame, you can instead look to Jesus as that great hero, as that great liberator, and as the one who is now on your side. And beloved, if he is now on your side, then what is there that God calls you to that you cannot do? What great work of liberation does God want us to perform that we cannot possibly succeed in if this great Savior, Jesus Christ, is on our side? Jesus himself ascended into heaven and poured out his Holy Spirit on us, gave gifts to men so that we would be able to excel and succeed in everything that God has for us. Scripture tells us in Philippians 2 that it is God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so, beloved, let's not be a people of excuses the way Moses was. But when we ourselves come to encounter the living God, when we come out of darkness and into light, let's realize the great champion that we have on our side. And even as we have been led on this great exodus to the kingdom of God, let us now also lead others in this exodus with the help of Christ, our Savior. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that we have your promise of help, that we have your promise of presence. Lord, we know that if we were left on our own, we would be incapable of anything good, God. And yet we know with a champion as great, with a God as great, as you yourself on our side, we know that we need offer no excuses, but you are able to fulfill your word in every last degree. So God, give us eyes of faith, give us hearts of faith, that we may trust you, that we may believe in you. Lord, would you now receive from us your people, receive prayers of confession that we offer to you now, receive prayers of petition that we offer to you now, as we intercede on behalf of ourselves, 
on behalf of the world around us.